0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today. Thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every weekday at the same time as we open the Word of God. Um, We have been dealing with probably over the last uh, eight weeks we did actually two series. I did one called You Will Recover Your Life that was four programs. I did four more with my sister on Unblemished where she talked about uh, all the things that disqualified you Jesus healed in the New Covenant. And I've been dealing with, because I really felt the Spirit of the Lord that really what we need to touch a little bit is behavior issues under the New Covenant and under grace. what we understand is that first of all we're not justified by works, we're justified by grace. So uh, there's no flesh that's ever been justified by the works of the law. So uh, we're not talking about what brings justification, we're talking about uh, what produces in you a quality of life. You know, one of the things that I shared back in the early days of, uh, uh, you know, probably been about almost, uh, probably about eight weeks ago, I shared from the book of Galatians a little bit in chapter 5, where he said, for they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom. And uh, a lot of times we think, well, they which do such things will not go to heaven. That's not what it said. It said, they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom. For me the kingdom is not just talking about when you go to heaven, it's talking about living life in the kingdom right now as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and then you won't have to worry about what happens after a while. Because those behavior issues that he deals with there are issues that are not so much talking about other world stuff, it's talking about this world stuff. And what he's saying is that these behaviors and these works of the flesh which are made manifest are sabotaging you of being able to live this kingdom life now. Now the key word in Galatians 5 there, where he said, they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom, is that I understood then that, in, and that the kingdom is not something you earn, it's something you inherit. So here's what I want to say. You don't do these things in order to inherit the kingdom. What happens is you inherit the kingdom and then it changes your behavior. Because when the king of the kingdom comes in and you are translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, the Spirit of God moves in you and the Spirit of God begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit and the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now I jumped right into the word there, uh, but let me say quickly that if you missed any of those former programs, I really encourage you, I think there's some of the most important stuff I've done for a while, is go back and watch the series called you Recover Your Life, and then the one called Unblemished. Um, Both of them are available on YouTube. Uh, By the way, let me just mention this before I move on in the word uh, with that, is that matter of fact, everything that we have aired to date is archived on our YouTube channel, and you can watch it at your leisure on your smart device, your smartphone, or whatever. They can get internet. You can watch us on demand. Uh, There is also a podcast there on iTunes where you can receive the audio portions of these programs, and you can stream them straight to your uh, iPhone or your device like that. There's also an RSS feed where you can stream it straight to your Android device. The simplest way to do that is go to my website, at lynnhiles.com, and that is on the screen. And up in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons. One says YouTube, one looks like a little iTunes icon, one looks like a little robot for the Android device. Just tap on them, they'll take you straight to those. And then while you're there, just sign up for our podcast, our YouTube page. It doesn't cost you anything, and then you'll be notified when we upload something new. Share them with your friends. Share them on Facebook. They're life-changing stuff. You know, in an hour when almost everybody's charging you for everything that you learn, uh, even on Facebook, we are at this point still putting it out to you for free. It is our faithful partners that are helping us to do that. If you'd like to become a partner, help us do that. While you're there, you're on our website. You can also do that. But uh, we're going to get in the Word here again. But I just wanted to tell you that if you missed some of that, go back and you could pause it, take notes, stop and think about it. We began last week by talking about uh, Romans 7, where, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul, I'll start in there again and try to move on quickly from it, but uh, 7 of Romans, verse 17, and I'm going to be reading from the Message Bible. It said, But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions... I obviously need help. That that ought to resonate with somebody. I obviously need help. Matter of fact, it resonates with everybody listening to my voice, including me. I obviously need His help. I need help. And we all need help. That's why He sent another comforter and He called Him the helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And He's going to be the helper. You know, one of the things that I probably, I'm getting way ahead of myself here again, but... You know, in, in, in uh, John 14, uh, when he says, I will send you another comforter, and I will not leave you comfortless. The word comfortless there is the Greek word orphanos. It is the English word we translate orphan. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to bring you into sonship. The second word is I'm going to send another, the comforter. The word comforter there is the Greek word paraclete. And a paraclete is a, uh, it it would be like uh, a defense attorney who, when Jesus said, when the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost comes, he will teach you all things that I've told you. I'm telling you, you have got a defense counsel in your corner called the Holy Ghost. You've got the paraclete who will only remind you of what is true. I, I kind of see him like about the time you're about to do something you should not do, uh, he, gives some, he taps you on the shoulder and says that's not who you are. Jesus says you're the righteousness of God in Christ. The Holy Ghost is going to keep on reminding you he's going to keep he's going to listen you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus you're a child of the king and you're too good of a child to act like that. He's going to testify of all. Jesus did something about your sin on the cross to make you more than a conqueror. He's going to remind you that you're seated with Him in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named. He's going to remind you that you're a new creature and that new creatures don't act this way. The paraclete comes to testify of what is true. You might say, well I'm a loser and I'm a failure, and your paraclete will come alongside you, the Holy Ghost, and say, I can't agree with that because all I can do is agree with what Jesus said about you, and what God said about you. And that should help you transform your thinking and renew your mind with the reality of who you truly are in Christ. Now what Paul was saying here, he says, I obviously need help. And I think we can come to that conclusion, all of us, believers and unbelievers. He said in verse 18, I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I really, I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. I mean, there's somebody I can identify with this. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? That's how Paul comes, he comes to the place and says, listen, man, it's obvious i got to have help. It's obvious that I'm powerless over this. It is obvious that I don't have the strength to seem to do what I know in my mind is right, or not do what I know in my mind is wrong. So what is this dilemma that Paul is talking about? Now he's really not talking about the plight of the Christian life in the New Covenant. He's talking about this is what happens to someone who is under the law. Romans 7 talks about, Paul said when the the commandment came, sin revived and I died. But now once you are free from the law doesn't mean it's okay now to kill somebody or to commit adultery, but what Paul is simply saying here is that all of these commands, uh, while they are good and they are perfect and they are holy, and there are things on down through these even as we look at commands. Uh, that Paul says are in uh, the commandment is good and is holy, but he said I'm sold under sin. In other words, there's a struggle that's going on inside of me, and if the law itself could have produced righteousness, then uh, uh, then verily I, uh, you know, uh, righteousness would have been by the law. But what he's simply saying is that that commandment did not produce life in me. So what's happening here is that there is a shift in what you're depending on to produce this righteousness. You're not depending on rule keeping, you're depending on uh, the internal indwelling Holy Ghost to do the work in you that you could not do for yourself. Because here's the end of that question. He said, isn't this the real question? Is there no one who can do anything for me? Verse 25, the answer, thank God Is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And again, he goes on to say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And in the last segment I talked about this a little bit, because what I said to you was that condemnation is a legal term in many cases. It means like, okay, uh, he was in a court of law, he is now a condemned man. A sentence has been passed on him. What this is saying, is, doesn't mean that there's not things that are not wrong any longer. It means that there's not a sentence passed on you any longer. In other words, uh, he's not passing a condemned sentence without any hope. He's not passing a death sentence over you. As a matter of fact, he's offering you a life that will lift you out of that death. Because as you, I, I, one of the things that I said last week, let me calm down a little bit is, you know, we had a lot of flooding in southern West Virginia back uh, uh, you know, a few years ago and we have really had a lot of flooding even this year. But when the floods hit and they destroyed people's homes and mold and mildew began to set in and just devastating things, uh, the, the, the government came by and painted stuff on, uh, on the wall saying condemned, no trespassing. The word condemned there meant, and they were right underneath that, uninhabitable. Here's the good news, God has never posted on the doorpost of your house that you are uninhabitable. As a matter of fact, He took you at your lowest state and moved in and began to make renovations from the inside out because there's no condemnation. In other words, you are inhabitable, and you are, if you will, redeemable. I love how, and you've probably heard me say this a bunch of times if you watch my program, but Revelation 21 says, I heard a voice, a great voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Uh, The Message Bible says it like this, God said, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. See, when God moves in, He begins a major transformation program. See, law can change your behavior and bring conformity. But grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit will bring transformation. See, law can conform you, but grace will transform you. Law can change your behavior, but grace will change your heart. See, change is inevitable regardless of which way you go. I think there are a lot of people who are simply actors on the stage of life. You know the word hypocrite in the Amplified Bible is translated as actor's on the stage of life. In other words, we're putting on an act. we got our act together. And if you get your act together, it's just an act. But God is interested in authentic, real heart transformation that comes by the renewing of your mind and the utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read that same verse again from the Message Bible in Romans 8. It said, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. What faithful dilemma? That roller coaster of I want to do good, evil's present with me, what I want to do is not what I do. I can't seem to get the victory over this stuff even though I know I need to do what's right. I can't seem to do what's right. I know I shouldn't do what's wrong, but I I keep doing what's wrong. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who, who will deliver me? Thank God He will. And then He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Here's how the message Bible says is with the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. The dilemma of this roller coaster ride. Those who enter into Christ being here for us, instead of my own human strength and my own human efforts, I've learned to cast my care on Him. I've learned to depend on Him. I've learned that He is still saving me those who enter Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. I like that. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In His Son, Jesus, He personally took on the human condition and entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was, by fractured human nature, could never have done that the law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of the deep healing of it. I'm going to call this series, Band-Aid Religion. I'm going to have my staff to to, to just kind of mark that as Band-Aid Religion for the YouTube series. Because if we could see in the spirit, and I threatened to do this, I just haven't done it, but I threatened to get a whole box of band-aids and go in a service somewhere, and start preaching sin management programs, self-help programs, that always end in failure, and then I'm going to take Band-Aids as I preach on each one of them, and name them. I'm going to put Band-Aids on somebody. And you know, while a Band-Aid may look like it's healing the thing, it is only covering it up, and there's not a deep healing of it. And then I'm going to sing, I'm stuck on Band-Aid, because Band-Aid's stuck on me. And then I'm going to grab one of those, and I'm going to rip that thing off, because sometimes it's painful to rip that band-aid off slow. You're better off just grab it and rip it all at one time. I sometimes think, I said this back a couple of years ago on my Facebook page, I said, truth sometimes will make you mad before it makes you free. And so sometimes I've had some things, you know, as I begin to understand the gospel of grace, man, it was like ripping the band-aids off, And sometimes it left a wound that was deeper than I thought was there. But in the midst of it, I have to say that I've had more deep healing, more true deliverance from things I've struggled with in sin, in the climate of grace and freedom, than I ever did under law. Because all law does is it makes you hide it. It makes you uh, keep things undercover. But once your heart is exposed, then there can be a deep healing. And so a lot of these sin management programs seem like they start out good, but all they are is like a bunch of Band-Aids stuck on people. And uh, it just, you know, uh, it's just like a Band-Aid on sin, but never the deep healing of it verse 4 says, but now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, see that? What the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished. Here's my powerful message today. As we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. I'm telling you, man, that's better than a self-help program. That's what he's saying here in Romans 7 and 8. He's not saying every behavior is acceptable. He's saying here's how you can get delivered from some destructive behaviors that are affecting your life, that getting rid of them is for your best interest. See, I, I think sin affects us far more than it affects God. I think he's like a father who sees a child who's doing things that are self-destructive, saying, man, you know, you, 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 you're you inflicting pain on yourself. I mean, man, most of our pain is self-inflicted, while God is saying, listen, there's a new power in operation, and a new way of doing this. And it's not rule-based band-aid religion, it's the inward, deep work of the Holy Spirit that can not just conform you, but transform you into His likeness and transformation is real change. And so, you know, I I started thinking, you know, years ago, I preached the message of grace before it got popular. And uh, in the first early stages of preaching grace, of course, what happens with everyone is they start testing the waters of freedom, because that's the first response. It's like the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they came into the wilderness, man, they didn't know what to do with freedom. And so, you know, people who've never been free don't know how to deal with freedom. And so they don't know that we didn't just turn from law and legalism, but we turned to the government of Holy Spirit. We, we turned to, uh, you know, a, a new governor, which is the Holy Ghost inside of our lives to teach us, lead us, guide us into all truth. We didn't become lawless, but we began to be under the government of all the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which really produces for us a quality of life. But in my first stages, in early days, many years ago, I started seeing people that were getting set free, except they changed the bondage of law and legalism for the bondage of, let's say, substance abuse or some other habit in their lives. So they weren't free at all, they just changed bondages. And as I began to get concerned about it, I said, Lord, you know, am I preaching a message that's causing people to sin? And the Lord said to me, son, keep preaching what you're preaching, because it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And I said, Lord, help me with this. And he he took me to uh, Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And the fourth chapter of Hebrews, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder between soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart, neither is anything that's not naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do." And uh, so when I, uh, the Lord began to speak that scripture to me, I looked at the context of it. Two or three verses above that it says that we should, uh, we should uh, labor to enter into rest. So the context of Hebrews 4 is, it's the context of rest. So he simply said to me, the word that flows from rest, or if you will, the finished work of Jesus Christ, is a two-edged sword, it divides asunder between soul and spirit, and watch this, it's a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. See, in the climate of freedom, and in the climate of grace, what's really in people's hearts, watch this, begins to surface. There was stuff in people's hearts that I didn't know was in there. Now they'd kept it under wraps of law, and they'd kept it under wraps of behavior modification. They had band-aids all over it. And I'm not suggesting you act on what's really in your heart, but what I am showing you is simply this. Hebrews 4 doesn't stop with saying that this word that flows from rest will reveal what's in your heart. It goes on in Hebrews 4, says that once we realize what's in our hearts, we can come boldly to a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace, and find mercy and grace to help in the time of trouble, and a faithful high priest who has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities, who has been tempted in all measures like as we are, yet without sin, so that He is able to secure, or if you will, sustain us. So what I begin to hear the Spirit say is, in the climate of freedom, and right now you're, going to, you're seeing a lot of this happen in the grace message. What's in people's hearts is surfacing. Now I will say this clearly, God is not holding your sin against you. He laid it on Jesus, part of the new covenant promise is, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more, but they will cost you. God may not be holding your sin against you, and God may not be angry with you, but your wife might be. You might lose your health, your family, you might end up in divorce, you might lose a job, you know, there's a lot of consequences to behavior. But once it, what is in your heart is revealed, then you can come boldly, you don't have to run from, but you can run to God. You can come boldly to the throne of grace, you obtain mercy, and you will find grace to help in the time of trouble. I think what a lot of people are calling grace is really the mercy of God. In other words, they deserve judgment, but He's not giving them judgment because there's not any condemnation under the Old Covenant, or under the New Covenant, I'm sorry. And God is not holding the sin against you, but there are things that are destroying and robbing you of the quality of life that God meant for you that to be the best life on the planet. So he's saying to you in the midst of this, this fateful dilemma of I can't seem to walk in what is right is solved as we instead of redoubling our own efforts and making New Year's resolutions that fail and said I'm going to give this willpower with all that's in me, I simply embrace what the Spirit of God is doing in me, and I come boldly to a throne of grace, and I obtain mercy and I find grace to help, and that's where I find a faithful high priest who is touched with the feeling of my infirmity. Now, infirmity doesn't just mean sickness, it means any kind of weakness that I have. Because he was tempted in all manner, like as we are, without sin. And he's able to succor us. Make no mistake about it, at least for this preacher. I'm not saying that grace gives you a license to sin. I'm saying that grace gives you the ability to stay in relationship with Jesus without being alienated from the life of God, because the life of God is the very thing that'll change you, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You don't have any life in you. So it's when you run to God rather than run from God, and instead of, like I said, redoubling your own efforts, you simply uh, embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. And so, you know, that's really, uh, I believe we're right, he said, verse 5 says, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open into a spacious, free life. Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores God, who God is, and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased with being ignored. Now that's powerful, Now I'm about to run out of time, so it's simply embracing what the Spirit is doing in us instead of redoubling our own efforts and depending on our own human efforts. We'll talk about this more in the next program. Please join us again next week. Let me just say if you'd like to help us to be able to take this kind of message around the world, call the number on the screen, go to our website, sow a seed into the ministry to help us to be able to pay the airtime and to continue doing what we're doing. If you don't get an answer, leave a message. If you want a return call, and someone will call you back. It's the easiest way to do is simply go to the website and there is a link directly there to give. God bless you. Thank you for joining us again this week. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.